Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19. Although it's just two verses, there are many essential truths to be found. So we're going to spend some time here. We're going to expound God's Word because <laughs> our goal here is not to move through the book of Proverbs quickly. Our goal is that if you do not know the Lord, that you come to know the Lord. And if you do know the Lord, that you will grow in wisdom so that your life will be an honor to him. So let's read verse 18, chapter 4, book of Proverbs. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much just for everything. Thank you for everything that you are. If you were any less of a God, we would have no hope. Thank you for your attributes of power, of holiness, of love. Thank you for your son who died for us on Calvary and rose again from the dead and sits at your right hand. Oh God, I pray for the young people who are listening. Oh, please, Lord, work in their hearts so that they would know this Savior. They would know his salvation. And then, Lord, sanctify them. Grant them wisdom from your word to walk in perilous times in this dangerous world. Oh, God, help us now in Jesus name. Amen. OK, starting in uh, chapter four, verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous. Now, what is the path of the righteous? I think that the moment you hear path, you can probably think maybe of a field and a path running through it or a forest and a path running through it. Uh, when I was a little boy, we raised uh, Charlet cattle and quarter horses and and cattle especially have a way of using the same path over and over again as they walk from their feeding grounds to, to water. And um, I can remember those paths running through all our cow fields. That's the idea, is that there is a path. And that path is marked out by the word of God. And that path has been trod by many saints and it's never failed one of them. So what is the path of the righteous? First of all, righteousness denotes conformity to a standard. So imagine that uh, my arm was straight. I don't probably it isn't, but let's imagine that my arm is straight. If this arm parallels the first arm, then it is righteous. It is straight. But if it deviates to the right or the left, it is no longer straight. It is no longer righteous. So what is the standard to which we must conform in order to be righteous? It is God's nature 
and God's will. Oftentimes a preacher will rightly say that in order to be righteous, we must be uh, conformed to God's will as it is revealed in scripture. That is true, but it is not complete. What we need to understand is God's will as it is revealed in the scripture is a revelation of his nature, who he is. And that takes us back to the law where it says, be holy for I am holy. We could put other attributes in there, moral attributes, be righteous for I am righteous, be love for I am love. And so what is the path of the righteous? It is a path, a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of walking, a way of acting, okay, that is conformed to the will of God, the nature of God, as they are revealed to us in the scriptures. Now, why is that last phrase important? Well, because there's a lot of people today talking about what is and is not the will of God. There's a lot of people saying, well, I think God is this way, or I think God is that way, or I think God would do this or that. And those are just opinions of a fallen mind, nothing more. If we want to know who God is, and we truly want to understand what is God's will for my life, then we must go to the word of God. Now, um, there's a relationship, as I've said, between the path and God's word, God's law. And I want you to read in Job chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. I'll give you time to turn there. Job 23, 11 and 12. My foot has held fast to his path. So the one speaking is saying, I have walked in his path. I've not deviated from his path. I have kept his way. Again, for emphasis, he has stayed in God's path and I have not turned aside. Now in verse 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips. Do you see what's going on here? How do you walk in the path of God, in the path of righteousness? by walking according to his commands or his revealed will. And then he goes on to say, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So now let's put it all together. Um, how do we walk in God's path? By walking according to his word. But how do we know his word? We treasure it in our hearts. We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate upon it. We thank him for it, and we seek to submit our lives to it. Oh, young people, you're going to have to make a choice, not just once, but many times in your life. Will you do what is right in your own eyes, or will you follow the will of God? It's an old option. It's an old choice. What do I mean by that? It was the first choice between put before Adam and Eve. Will you listen to God's command? Or has God really said that? Or God has not said it. They chose to do what was right in their own eyes rather than by faith following the word of God. And we do not want to commit the same error. Now, it says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. That brings us to a real important question. How is the path of the righteous like the light of dawn? Well, I've spent a lot of my years out in the woods from a little boy up until now. And especially when you're hunting, you'll get out there in the dark and sometimes you'll sit up in a tree 
That may sound unusual to some of you, but that's how you hunt deer and turkey and even bear. You sit up in a tree and right before the sun comes up, it's the darkest. Not only is it the darkest, but if it's winter, it's usually the coldest also. And then, and you can't see things. You're up there, you're looking down at the woods below you, and you simply cannot see. And then as the sun comes up, what happens? You begin to see shadows. And then you begin to see outlines. And then you can see clearly as the sun comes over the mountain. And so that's what we're talking about here. Um, the path of God is illuminated by his truth, by his truth. Now, I, I want you to see something. Imagine that um, you were in a pitch dark room, pitch black. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And then imagine that you have to cross to the other side. Your life depends on it. Well, that'll be hard enough even in an empty room. But now imagine that underneath the floor plates, some of the floor plates are hidden bombs. If you step on a floor plate, well, you're going to be no more. Now what do you do? It's pitch dark, it's dangerous, and you have to cross the other side. Well, there's really nothing you can do. You can either foolishly run across the floor like a lot of people live their lives, or you can be paralyzed by fear because you know you have no idea where the dangers are. Well, there's a third option. What if someone put a book in your hands that had the proper instructions to get you across safely? Two steps forward, stop. Four steps to the right, stop. Six steps forward, stop. Two steps to the left, stop. Now, you would have to be careful. You would have to walk circumspectly. You'd have to follow everything to the letter. And it would probably take a long time, but you'll make it across the room safely. And you see, that's what we want to do. You can walk in the darkness, you can. You can follow your own insight, your own light if you want, but it's dangerous. What you need to do is follow God's light, which is God's word. Now, let's go on. How is it like the light of dawn? That was the question, we answered it. Now, I want to show you something that is very, very important in 1 John. So hold your place in Proverbs chapter four and let's go to 1 John. And I really want you to pay attention to this because it's real important. Look at verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Verse seven makes it clear, something very, very clear. We are saved, okay? Or the evidence that we are saved is that we are walking in the light. Now, what does that mean? Um, to walk in the light is to walk according to the will of God. To walk in the light is to walk in a way that conforms to who God is, his nature, and conforms to what God has said, his word. 
one of the chief characteristics of a true, true believer is that they will walk in the light as a style of life. It doesn't mean that they will do so perfectly, not at all. But when you look at their life, you will see their life is marked by walking in the light. So if someone can take your life or take you and stand you beside a no notorious unbeliever and there's no difference between you and that person, that should re raise some red flags, some very important red flags. One of the great evidences that we have become a Christian is that we want to know God's will as it is revealed in Scripture. We want to walk according to God's will. And we do walk according to God's will. Not perfectly. No one is without sin. But our lives are marked by an inclination toward obedience. They're also marked by confession and brokenness when we find that we have violated God's will. Now again, you are not saved by attempting to walk in the light or even walking in the light. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ by trusting in him. But if you've trusted in him, he has done a work in your heart. It's called the doctrine of regeneration. The Holy Spirit has given you a new heart and a new nature. And that new nature is going to desire the will of God and desire to do it. Now, let's go back to Proverbs. Chapter 4, verse 18. Before we do that, you notice I'm, I'm really struggling here. I, uh, it's been a long day. And someone told me that every time I, uh, I yawn on camera, uh, they, they do different things. Um, they'll pray for me or they'll pray for somebody else because it seems like I yawn a lot. Well, young people, this is why you need to serve the Lord when you're young. When you get up towards 60, you start getting tired. Another thing you need to realize is this. It is not a wasted life to make yourself tired for the cause of Christ. Now, let's look at verse 18. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now, how does it shine brighter and brighter? Well, first of all, I want to go again to hold your place in Proverbs and go to 1 Peter. It's just a few books before 1 John. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Look what it says. It's talking about our salvation. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has done what for us, who saved us. But how is that described? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Prior to coming to know Christ, the Bible says that we walked in darkness and we'll be looking at that later. But he's called us out of darkness. When we heard the gospel preached to us, not only did the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds so that we would understand, he regenerated our hearts. He gave us new natures so that we would desire what we see, so that we would desire Christ. And if you're truly a Christian, even though Christians do struggle with the flesh, there's going to be a great desire in you to know God, to know his will, and to walk according to it. Now, 
the more we grow in our understanding of God, the more we grow in our understanding of his will, the more clear that the path becomes. And this is, this is very, very important. I mean, think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? God's book, God's Bible, is what illuminates the path. Not because you can take a Bible, hold it up, and some light comes out of it. But the more you understand about God's will, the more you can clearly navigate in the darkness of this world. Because the word of God is acting as a light. It is showing you the way. Now, the more we know about God, the more we know about his will, the more we will be able to walk in the light. But not only that, something else that's extremely important. We will also be able to more reflect the light of God. And this is something I want you young people to see. We have been granted such a privilege to be light in this world, to be salt, to be, in a sense, you know, God's representatives, not only telling people about the gospel, but actually living the gospel so that our, our lives are filled with light. Now, look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. He says, if you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. Now, he doesn't say, I want you to look at this. He doesn't say you need to try to be the light of the world or maybe you could be the light of the world. He says, no, you are. If you're truly a Christian, your heart has been changed. Your nature has been changed. Your mind has been illuminated and you're going to live a different way. Again, not perfectly, but definitely there's going to be an inclination in your life that demonstrates that God's done a great work of salvation. So if you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. And if you claim to be a Christian, but your life is nothing but an expression of darkness, then you need to go talk to your parents or your pastor because something is not right. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, God doesn't want us to become Christians and then move out into the countryside somewhere or live in a monastery or go sit up on a mountain with our legs crossed chanting a mantra. God wants us to be in the world, not of it. And he wants us to be lights. And, and listen to me, young people, not just light in your home. I mean, not just light in the world, but light in your home. You know what I've discovered after all these years? It's easier to act like a Christian on Sunday during church than it is to act like a Christian in the home Monday through Saturday. And that's what I want you to see. You don't just want to be a light out there for other people you don't know, but you want to be a light, especially for those whom you know and who know you. Be a light if you're an older brother or sister to be a light to your younger brother and sister. And you're either going to be one or the other, a stumbling block, a kind of a pit of darkness, a shadow, or you're going to be a light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. God has saved you with a purpose, and that is that you might reflect his glory, that you might shine his light and others might see it and be drawn to it. Let your light shine. Now it's a command. He said, I didn't make you to hide you. 
I made you for you to be seen, for you to glorify me. Now, here's the command. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Everything we do of goodness, we don't do it so that people will talk about us, hopefully, because that's, that's idolatry, self-worship. Why do we do good works? That men might see it and glorify God that people might see it and come to know Christ. No one can come to know Christ without the preaching of the gospel. We must preach the gospel, but how many people have been drawn to the gospel because of the godly lives, the loving, kind behavior of believers? Furthermore, how many people have been pushed away from the gospel by people who did not live the gospel? In Philippians 2.15, he says, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We are to act in such a way, according to this passage, Philippians 2.15, that we prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. Now, this is not saying that a believer in this life can become perfect or without sin, but you can manifest these characteristics. You can be something other than crooked and perverse. You can be something other than a reflection of disobedience to God's will. You can act like a child of God. If you study the word of God, if you pray, if you depend upon the spirit of God, you can grow more and more to act like a child of God. You can gain in your life an innocence. You know, the world seems to want to corrupt and defile everything. But if you read the word of God, you meditate upon the word of God, you renew your mind. You can regain an innocence that looks at the world through purer eyes. And he says, and blameless. We want to be blameless. Now, that is the goal. And we can live a life that is worthy. Yet we'll never be without blame. But when we err, when we sin, restoration can happen not only for ourselves, but for others in the sense that they're going to watch our behavior when we sin. Are we going to be like hypocrites? Are we going to hide it? Are we going to deny it? Or when we sin, when we fall, will we simply say, I have sinned. I have done this or that. Forgive me. And they see our humility. They see our brokenness. They see our desire for reconciliation and purity. So, so here's what I want you to see from this text. Not only are we to walk in the paths of light, but we're to reflect light. We are to reflect it, not our own, not the world's, but God's, but God's. You know, the seraphim in Isaiah um, chapter six, that they cover their faces and cover their feet and with two wings they fly. The word means burning ones. Some people believe that they appear to be burning because they are reflecting the glory of the one seated upon the throne. You and I need to grow so close to the Lord through the study of his word, through the listening to good preaching, through prayer, through fellowship, through discipline, 
that we reflect, that we reflect him and also draw people to him. Now, in the next lesson, we're going to stay on here for a while and we're going to talk about how should we respond? How should we respond? We're called to walk in the paths of light. We're called to reflect God's light. How should we respond? God bless you, and I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com 